In the Lord's Prayer, we pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done. It's that last part I want to talk about this morning. What does it mean to pray to God, your will be done? It's something that Jesus, in these passages we've heard this morning, he names that or he uses the image of a cup to talk about God's will. But he prays about it and then he does it and he also wrestles with it a bit. We're going to look at all that this morning um, and try to think in our own lives then, what is it that God's will is for each of us? And that might be a little bit different for, for each of us. What does it mean to seek that? What is it, how are we supposed to pray in relation to that? Uh, and those kinds of questions. We're also, as I said at the beginning of the service, uh, we're covering a number of events uh, before that Friday morning when Jesus was crucified, before the Sunday when Jesus was resurrected. All of the events you've heard today happen on Thursday night the night right before the crucifixion. And in, um, we're going to start in Luke 22. And in that passage, what, what you heard comes after the account of the Last Supper. Jesus and the disciples were going to have the Passover meal together, and they do. Uh, shortly after that, the disciples get into an argument about who's the best disciple, more or less. Then Jesus leads them all out, and they go out of Jerusalem, out of the gate, and then up the hill to the Mount of Olives, which is partway up um, the hill outside of Jerusalem. And there, there is a garden, and they stop there to pray. And that's where we're going to land on our first scene and talk about what it means to pray, not my will, but yours. Before I get to that, at the Last Supper, and I, I kind of touched on this uh, in the children's sermon, Jesus had taken the bread, this should sound familiar, we do it once a month, and broken it and said, this is my body. He identified to them, this is my body broken for you. Then he took the cup and poured the wine into it, and he said, this cup is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. It's a new covenant. That had just happened, and then maybe 45 minutes later, an hour later, they were praying in the garden in this first scene that I want to look at with you. Uh, it's Luke 22, verses 41 through 44. You may know from one of the other Gospels that he asked the disciples to stand watch, to pray. Several fell asleep. Uh, Luke tells us that he went a stone's throw away. So, you know, kind of to the corner however far you can throw a stone. But Jesus went to pray by himself. But presumably, uh, John overheard, because we get some of the details of that prayer. Uh, we get some here uh, as well, which may have come through Peter. But he prays, and, and I want to just read, it's a short prayer, so I want to read it to you again. He says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. I want to point out a couple of things. The cup represents all that is about to happen, all the suffering, uh, the death, all that, that God has, has put out before him. And it's clear that Jesus knows what that is. He's been getting more and more specific and clear with the disciples leading up to this event. He knows what's about to happen, and we'll see that confirmed uh, in our next text. But isn't it interesting, just, just moments before he will be arrested, and imprisoned and then crucified, he is wrestling with that mission that God has given to him. 
And yet, he says, you know, if there's any other way, if this cup can be taken from me, that's what I pray for. But on either side of that prayer, he, he asks for the Father's will to be, to be done. He says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me, but your will be done. It's clear that he wants to obey and wants to follow what the Father wants for him. We go on to read that he is in agony. I don't know if you've ever had that kind of agonizing prayer. Um, I hope that you haven't, um, but most of us will at some point in our life. Wrestled so deeply, struggled so deeply with something that it, praying about it is just agony. We even read that uh, his sweat became like drops of blood. Uh, some uh, scholars even say they were drops of blood. It, he was, it was so intense it burst blood vessels in his eyes. But in the middle of that, that agonizing prayer to both say what he wanted, but also even more so to, to follow the, the Father's will, there's this mercy in that God sends an angel to strengthen him. Strengthen him in the moment, strengthen him for what's about to come. And even that is an answer to uh, the prayer. It's one reason I think we are to bring everything to God in prayer, because God answers in all, all manner of ways. Sometimes it's delivering us from whatever the thing is. Sometimes, as we've said, it's walking with us through the dark valley to strengthen us, to encourage us for what we face. I want to fast forward to, to John 18. It's only minutes later after this scene. Uh, Luke emphasizes different events and John emphasizes different events. But after Jesus gets up from prayer, this crowd appears with some soldiers, with some chief priests, and they're coming for him. And if you follow John's language, it seems that the prayer has strengthened Jesus' resolve because when they appear and they, they ask for Jesus of Nazareth, he, he beats them to the punch. He goes up to them and says, who are you looking for? Oh, Jesus of Nazareth. I'm he. I'm the one you're looking for. He is, he is ready to obey the Father's will and walks into all that is coming to literally, well, I guess figuratively, <laughs> drink from the cup that God has given him. But what, what I wanted to highlight in this passage, John 18, is not Jesus' submission to, the, to God's will, but it's what Peter does. Peter, we read, has a sword and acts to defend or attack, but he, he pulls the sword and he cuts off the ear of uh, one of the servants of the high priest. And Jesus says, no, no, put your sword away. And then again uses the language about the cup. And he says to Peter, um, shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? The cup the Father has given me, shall I not drink it? Peter, put your sword away. That's fascinating to me. And if I were Peter, I would have been thinking, well, he probably didn't think at all. He probably just reacted. But what he did seems like a courageous thing, right, with soldiers all around. Now, he did not attack a soldier. He attacked the servant of a priest. But nonetheless, he drew his sword to protect his master, to do something. He was well-motivated, well-meaning, as Peter always was, was. But Jesus rebukes him. If I could frame it this way, Peter did his will, but he had not sought out what was the Father's will, what was Jesus' will in this situation. And Jesus sets his actions in that context. Put your sword away. I am 
following the Father's will, which involves all that is to come, my arrest, my trial, my crucifixion. It makes me think of the time, you know, it's one thing if we do something wrong and we can pretty well figure out that's not what God would want me to do. This is the other side of that, those times when we do what we think is right and good only to discover, well, we didn't have all the information or we didn't stop to say, God, is this something you want me to do? It's interesting, the timing on this, we just finished the five-week class that Kathy taught and we were talking about this kind of thing with uh, neighbors, with people of other cultures and races and um, isn't it okay if I'm well-meaning to say this or do this? And we talked about the importance of listening to our neighbors before we love and serve our neighbors. That is the great command, right? To love our neighbors, to love God. And in both cases, Jesus would say, well, see what it is God wants before you just start offering things because your, your offerings may be well-intended but have the wrong outcome. With our neighbors, do we stop to ask, what is it you need? What is it you want? Um, I will brag on Christy since she's not here this morning. She's, I think this is the first Sunday she's taken off in two years. Had to twist her arm to do that, but she's relaxing somewhere. Um, one of the things she brought to the whole church, not just the youth and children's program, is that her background is in uh, community development. And I've, I knew a little bit, but I've learned a lot more from her that one of the, the cornerstones of community development, it is, it is helping other people, but it starts with going into a community and listening well and saying, what is it that this community, this neighborhood, these uh, neighbors need? And then joining with them in pursuing those needs. She's brought that to our youth group. All of us, parents, elders, pastor, we all, many of us had wonderful youth experiences in our, in our past, and we want that for our children. And yet those models of youth ministry don't work anymore. And we, we've, we've you know, hit our heads against that wall several times now for a number of years. And one of the things Christy brought was really getting to know our youth and finding out uh, what they need, what is important to them. We've, we've modified our approach in a way that they all come and they all seem to love it. Um, whereas we were just wearing them out before, offering all the things we used to offer. It was just too much. So we're offering less, but we're meeting, we're connecting with kids a lot more. And that comes out of that, that broad model that I think we're seeing in this passage of it, it. Intentions are not enough. If we're to love God and love our neighbor, it begins with listening. God, what do you want from me? Neighbors, what do you need? What do you want? And then jumping in with both feet, for sure. So Jesus corrects Peter, says, put your sword away. That's kind of the question I would leave with. Uh, so, so many of you have such big hearts and are so uh, well-meaning. Where would Jesus tell us to put our sword away and listen and follow him? The third passage I want to look at this morning is also in John 18, just hours later from that arrest. You may know the, um, the chief priests were out to get Jesus, but didn't really have any teeth in what they could do to Jesus. So they bring him to Pilate. And so this is a conversation between Jesus and Pilate. Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea. He worked for Rome. He was Roman, I imagine. And he had the power to execute criminals. 
So the chief priest brought Jesus to him and said, this man is a criminal. You need to judge him and execute him. So this, this in John 18, uh, the longer passage Eric read, is the conversation between Pilate and Jesus. And Pilate jumps right into it, to the charge that would get his attention, that would result in execution. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Is that who you think you are? Because if he thought he was the king, if he was raising up an army to, uh, to fight Rome, to fight Caesar, to throw off the Romans, that would be rebellion and revolution, and, and Pilate would squash that quickly. That would definitely be grounds for execution. So he starts with um, what the chief priest probably told him. This guy thinks he's king. You need to put him down. So, are you king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, did you hear that or did somebody tell you that about me? Pilate answers, I'm not Jewish. Your chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? And Jesus answers in verse 36, my kingdom, so he does claim a kingdom. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, and this is so interesting thinking about what Peter just did, my servants would be fighting. No wonder he told Peter to put the sword away. It's really confusing the issue. It was definitely not part of uh, God's will because it's, it's playing into um, what Jesus is not all about. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so I wouldn't be arrested or handed over. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. So Pilate says, so you are a king? <laughs> I'm sure he was confused. Jesus answered, and part of what I love about this passage, we studied it in confirmation two or three weeks ago, is it does two things. It both demonstrates how committed Jesus is to this path that God has set before him, and it, it demonstrates just how much self-understanding Jesus had. Sometimes I, I hear people kind of taking shots at Scripture saying, well, Jesus was just a teacher, and it was years later all his followers kind of made up these stories about him being God and Messiah and all this. But Jesus understood himself to be the Messiah who ushered in the kingdom of God, who was himself the king of that spiritual kingdom, because he says this to Pilate. You say correctly, I am a king. This is why I was born. Right? For this I have been born. And for this, to be a king, I have come into the world. To testify to the truth. Jesus is saying, this is why I'm here. It's to announce the kingdom of God. And you can see that a hundred times over in all of his teaching. It's the thing he mainly talked about. He also understood himself to be the king of that kingdom. And that's why he was born. That's his purpose. That's his cup to drink. And he says, this is the truth. Well, Pilate famously then says, well, what's truth? I mean, he's either confused or just not tracking. But nonetheless, he takes, takes Jesus back out to the chief priest and says, he's not guilty of anything. I mean, whatever else Pilate thinks is going on, he comes back and says, he's not guilty of sedition, of rebellion. I'm not going to crucify him. And then in the same breath, Pilate says to those chief priests, but I'll tell you what, Every Passover, we do a prisoner swap. Uh, if there's somebody you want me to um, let go out of prison uh, in place of him, I'll, I'll do that. Or, or you know, he can go free. And they choose a robber named Barabbas so that Jesus will be kept in prison. So I talked about Peter, his, his good intentions somehow still missing God's will. 
I also can relate to Pilate, who seems like he's just trying to avoid um, trouble in any way he can. He certainly don't want to be in trouble with Caesar. So if there's anything rebellion about this guy, he would have taken care of it, but he just can't find anything. But he also doesn't want to upset the chief priests, who are kind of the local you know, power structure with the Jews. They had great influence, and so he offers them a bone too. He just doesn't want to be on the, um, you know, the firing line for anybody. That's my take on it. And I can relate to that, right? I, I, I just want peace. I don't want to stir the pot. And so Pilate misses the truth that Jesus is the king of a spiritual kingdom there in his very presence. So for application today, I feel like this is the easiest thing in the world to name, and it's maybe the hardest thing in the world to do, right? Do you? Do I? Do we seek the Father's cup? And that's just a, a metaphor to say, do you take time to seek God's will, to pray, to say, God, what do you want for me? What is your will for me? What's the cup I should drink? And that can run as deep as the, the basic foundational faith question is, do I even believe there is a God to pray to, to seek a will? Is, is there a God big enough to have a, a will for the universe and for me? It can run as detailed as our daily lives. God, what is your will for me related to my job and career, related to my relationships, related to my, my dreams or my purpose in life? God, what is it that you want for me? And, and seeking that, praying those prayers. Um, it may be, too, that you feel like God has something big on your horizon. And it may be scary. It may be agonizing to, to pray over. Have you set that before the Lord in prayer to say, what is your will for me? Some of the ways, I know these are the Sunday school answers, but that's the reason we teach them in Sunday school. Some of the ways you find out God's will are to read and study scripture, to pray, and to seek the counsel of other believers who are also seeking God's will for you. But the application is, are we asking the question? A lot of times when we're well-meaning, we just say, well, I already know what I should do. And it's easy, easy to, to, you know, back right's not the word, you know, to, to work from the end and say, well, it must be God's will because I, I feel it so strongly. But I skip over the step of saying, God, is this something you want me to do? Sometimes I'm like Pilate and I just avoid anything risky at all. But do you and I, are we seeking God's will in every situation, big and small, important um, and then the second question, which is also easy to say, but the, really the, the key question is, if you, if you have discerned or if you do discern, oh, this is what God wants from me, will you drink that cup? Especially if it cuts against what you thought you were supposed to do, or if it is leading you into something big and scary, or if it, um, if it is going to stir the pot. You know, having sought the Lord and saying, what is your will for me in this situation? Will you then obey it and yield to it as Jesus modeled for us uh, in the garden? And trust me that those questions are just as hard for me to answer as they are for you. But that's what these, these stories of Jesus is. He, he walks obediently, struggling to the cross. And I appreciate that, that we get the detail of his struggle but we also get the, um, the example of his perfect obedience. Um, 
these stories challenge me. Am I truly seeking God's will? And, it, and will I drink the cup that God gives me? And will you? Let's pray together.